Welcome to my podcast, All Things Agriculture. I'm your host, Eric Carey, and thank you for tuning in. On this podcast, get to know those who work in agriculture on a daily basis. Find out what they do, the challenges and opportunities they face, and what they think the future holds for agriculture. You'll also have a chance to hear what they do for fun when they aren't working hard to feed the world. If you're watching on YouTube, please consider subscribing to my channel and leaving a thumbs up and a comment below. If you prefer the audio version, you can listen for free on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. And if you'd like to get into contact with me, please email me at allthingsagr at gmail.com. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Live. Hi everyone, welcome back to All Things Agriculture Podcast. Thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, of course, my name is Eric Carey, your host. I am joined here today with Jay. Jay, how's it going, man? Pretty good. Happy Thank- to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming out. It's not too far of a drive. No, only like ooh, 25 minutes. Yeah. Good old, good old Groton. Yeah, yeah. Well, you won't be living too far no, away. No, ho- hopefully just only like... 15 minutes down the road. I map, mapped it out. It's going to be pretty close. Yeah, it's basically just, you hop, you're just on the other side of 13. Yep. Yeah, just down, hopefully, down the road a little bit. Is that in the works? A new house. Yeah, new, new house. house. Everyone that doesn't know. Yeah, I'm trying to buy a house right now uh, just outside Ithaca, and hopefully it goes well. But still in the process of buying a home, which is exciting and really annoying <laughs> at the same time i know what you're talking about i've been we've been in the process of well i it's all, it's all gonna be under the farms buying it but it's like under my name i'm the one doing a lot of the you know work between the lawyers and it's been going on for over a year oh man the uh don't tell me that oh, <laughs> the title and all the it, it's just been a mess and COVID didn't help any, but yeah, it's, uh, it should be should be finishing here relatively soon. So hopefully, the both of us. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we, we're kind of both in that same. And now I'm just in like the frustrated. I want to get it done. You know. Oh yeah, it's, I'm uh, I'm there. <laughs> but you're a little more different because you have to you want to live there. Where right? yeah, yes. we still work the land. It doesn't matter whether we own it. We're, we rent it, but it's not like we got to move in. You know, you got to plan all that. So mm-hmm. that you have a little bit more of a reason to get irritated than i do so <laughs> oh no it's all, it's all good <laughs> but anyway so yeah and before we get started uh i just kind of want to let everyone know watching as well that now that we're almost into may and we're going to be hitting crop season and hay season and then more hay and i don't know if i'll be uh as often doing this as i would like you know just in terms of scheduling so if i'm not you know, if I'm not releasing as many videos or whatever interviews, you know, don't be afraid. It's just probably not working out. And you're still of, okay. Yeah. I'm still, yeah. <laughs> not that I'm sure anyone will be afraid, uh, you know, concerned, but just, you know, I'll be trying to get them out as often as possible. So, but anyway, so Jay, why don't you, uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I'm originally from a small boarding facility in Pennsylvania, so southeastern PA. Go Eagles. Woo. And, uh, yeah, so I, I grew up uh, on a f- small 40-acre farm uh, in the hills, just like out north of Philly. And 
we were just taking care of horses, making a little bit of hay and doing that. Grew up working all the time, riding horses and, you know, taking care of them, kind of living that, that equine lifestyle, which is just all, all work and not as much money as cows or other crops, but it was still a lot of fun. And I, uh, I got to learn a lot and it was a really good time. Great way to grow up. Um, I think that's probably been a common theme on your podcast where most of the people have grown up on farms and live, live the agrarian lifestyle or in some form or another. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot of work, but it's very rewarding. Exactly. Once you get old enough to realize, you know, yep. when you're younger, you're like, this is awful, but it's, it's very, builds character. Yes, exactly. That's, <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was telling, yeah, that's, that's why, uh, got to keep doing this, you know, to some kid and they're like, oh no, stop. Like, <laughs> you want to be like Jay. <laughs> He's got too much character. As it builds character, sweeping barns, sweep more. And oh no, stop. <laughs> Drop the broom. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, no. So it's, um, that was really great. Uh, and then in 2010, I went to Cornell as ag science major. I thought like, boy, wouldn't it be great to come to upstate New York, learn about ag kind of professionally. Uh, I had always kind of had a mind for problem solving and, uh, working on things and tinkering, but I was like, farming is a really secure job to go into because people always need to eat and, yeah, I was like, it'll be a good field. And then uh, while I was there, I met met you, met a bunch of the other people that have been on the podcast so far, and it's been that was a great experience. Learned a whole lot. Uh, my freshman year, I had I kind of had laid it out. I was gonna do ag science. Kind of want to decide where I wanted to go. So it's like, well, I'm gonna be ag science and crop production management, and then I could study. I could kind of I got some other specialization I could go into. And so I'll take a bunch of classes in different areas and see where I, what kind of piques my interest. And so I went, I took a mushrooms class because I was like, oh, mushrooms take wood and you know, you turn it into a food product. Rossi's class. We made the mushroom logs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Did that. And then, um, I took an intro to wines and vines, uh, class as well. And the way that I could sneak my way in was I declared myself a minor because I'm like, well, minor's not too many extra classes. And it guarantees me a spot in a pretty difficult class to get into because all the all the seniors really want to get in there. Yeah. So you had to, it, by declaring the like a winery minor, or mm-hmm. what would, is that the... Yeah, it's a viticulture and analogy. So I declared a minor, got in. That's that's the secret to the kids <laughs> at home. Uh, declare a minor and you, you go right in. No problem. <laughs> Um, but I took the, took that class and I was just absolutely fell in love with it. And I was like, wow, this, how great is this? You can take marginal land that's too hilly for like growing normal crops or, you know, you really can't, you don't need that many acres and you can grow like a fairly profitable agricultural crop on it. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. And so I was like, wow, maybe I should, maybe I should look a little bit more into that and ended up, uh, was able to double major in ag sci crop production management and do the viticulture and analogy. So I had to take a decent bit more chemistry classes than I was anticipating, but it ended up working out pretty well. I loved it. There was, I learned so much and it was a, it was a really good experience. I ended up going on a like really awesome adventure of a lifetime. I got a internship program and got to go to Switzerland 
and like work in a couple vineyards there, like go on a, it was part of like an exchange program with the university over there too. And I got to go visit Northern Italy, Slovenia, Hungary, Austria, Germany, and then back to Switzerland. And then I managed to like, I was like, Hey, anybody, anybody want to like, let me help me work on their farm. And they were like, Oh yeah, you can come work on our farms. And so I got to work on three different uh, vineyards and like, the crazy thing about vineyards in Switzerland is that they're, they've been there for thousands of years. And so it, they pick the warmest, nicest spots. And so you're like on the hillside and working like there's Lake Geneva and it's just crazy beautiful. There's the Swiss Alps all around you. It's, it's what you see in the photos on. Right. Yeah. It's um, Lavaux. That's on Lake Geneva. Um, <laughs> I like your accent. Yeah, yeah, that's that's appropriate. If anybody, if anybody, any of them are watching, they'll be like, "Oh, at least he learned something." <laughs> uh, but it was oh, absolutely like adventure of a lifetime. I learned so much. Got to work with uh, a lot of really great families over there, uh, and it was only for three weeks. But I got to learn a lot of the really small farms. So I mean, uh, one farmer will manage like probably three acres but they'll be separated all out and shotgunned like everywhere all around uh like that area because all the terraces are kind of separated out so wait i guess explain that a little bit i guess so one farmer will man it's kind of like think like a puzzle work like a whole patchwork of little vineyards and because keep touching the mic sorry that's 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 a lot of hand motions <laughs> i like it very yeah very animated yeah that's good um so imagine a grid or a kind of patchwork of vineyards of terraces that are on this mountainside okay and so you it, it doesn't really happen where like one family owns like one little piece and then they'll sell it to another guy and then he'll sell it to another guy and so and then someone else will buy another patch and so they're they don't own a contiguous piece. Oh, okay. It's just they own little tiny, like quarter eighth of an acre pieces that are scattered all over the hillside. Oh, okay. Yeah. So how does that work? I guess when it comes to harvesting, you just do, or do they kind of work as teams, or you just do your you, section and you, just you move do on? Your section and you see your neighbor neighbor's vineyard, and you're like, oh, good luck with him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, they do have a lot of unique problems and situations where. Uh, for example, there's a lepidopteran, a moth pest, where uh, if it, your neighbor mismanages it, and then it can spread to yours really easily. And so they'll kind of band together, and they'll pay for a helicopter to come in and like do a spray on these hillsides, because then they can hit all of them okay. really effectively with a like a pheromone mating disruption. Huh. Yeah, I, guess, I didn't think about that. You're so intertwined with your neighbors, where it's not like you know you own a huge chunk of ground and well you know whatever the neighbor does it's not really going to affect might affect the outside row but it's gonna it could destroy your whole your whole crop if you got a lazy neighbor i guess exactly yeah so it a lot of really interesting challenges they have cool equipment where they're basically like they're hedging machines a lot of them are just like weed whackers on a stick but it's like a little pole saw that they walk down the vineyard and uh they have little sprayers that are like tank treads and you ride on ride on the back of it like a stand-up lawnmower but it's got like a spray tank and then a little sprayer on the front and they go around the hillsides. How steep are these hills? They're like really steep. <laughs> so like you, you trip and fall, you could be go tumbling for, or the vines will stop um, you. So like 
take out a ten thousand. In Laveau, where I was working, it was terrace, so they were probably like a five to ten percent grade. Oh, okay. So it was pretty steep, but not too bad. And then when I worked on the other lake, uh, Lake Beale slash Bien, in the town of Tfan, and uh, that was they ran them straight up and down and the hillside because he had a little bit more land, and that if you like tripped, you would have tumbled. <laughs> take out a. Yeah, five hundred year old vineyard. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. <laughs> Sorry, I, you know, it's just uh, they're wonderful people. I got to stay with over there, and they um they opened up their home to me, and I got to stay with them, work. And they're like, oh, this guy. He was like, you can stay for like a weekend, and and you can work. And I was like, oh, cool. I get to like visit for another for a weekend. And then after working for a weekend, he was like, you can you can stay as long as you like. Keep keep working. <laughs> you, you earn your keep. Then. Yeah, I earn my keep. Um, so that was a, that was a great opportunity. And then I, that was my end of my junior year. And then senior year, I was looking for, uh, different vineyard management jobs and applied for a position at Welch's. Uh, and then they ended up terminating the position and I got an opportunity to intern out in California for a large, uh, grape grower out there. And I said, wow, like get to live in California, but that's, that's the dream. Yeah. Uh, and so I figured, you know, I went, how often will I have this opportunity, go on an adventure, have some fun. And so went out and did the internship. By the end of the internship, they offered me a job and then uh, ended up staying out there for six years. It was a really great experience. Kind of a complete opposite from going from the European Switzerland yes. to large scale. There's a couple different opposites. I went from farming in probably the most picturesque, beautiful place you could ever imagine. Like every little stone was perfectly <laughs> set like thousands of years ago and they've kept it and maintained it to out in the middle of California where you're just farming in a, in a desert. It's yeah. a flat, sandy desert. <laughs> yeah. And, the only reason it grows because you got water to irrigate it right, with. Right, right. But I mean, growing in California is really easy. I mean, relatively speaking. There's a lot of other challenges, but you add water, things just grow. <laughs> is it just the weather? It's just so... Right. When you have sun pretty much all the time, it eliminates a ton of variability that you have to deal with. You're like, oh, what am I going to do today? well, like, ah, it's raining, so I have to do this, or it's going to rain, so I have to do that, or it might rain, I need to do this before it rains. It's just every day sunny. It's whatever you want to do. <laughs> you go out, you can disc, you can go prune, you can do, do any of your activities. And, I mean, very few days were really impacted by rain, and we just send everybody home. <laughs> Like, you can right. don't don't have, don't come in. It's fine. It's here. Once, once how, like, how often would it rain where you were? So I was just like 30 minutes south of Modesto. Okay. Uh, I worked on, I had two ranches that I managed. Well, I didn't, I worked, I was part of the management team. People on LinkedIn, will find, like, I'm a vineyard manager. And they're like, you know, the second or third in command, I'm a vineyard manager. <laughs> Branding is really great. But uh, no, I was just part of, I mean, we were managing 6,000 acres total. So we had... 4,300 planted on one ranch and 800 planted on another. But the little 800-acre ranch, that like practically managed itself. It was it was easy. That's small scale. Yeah, it was, that was small. It was, <laughs> the manager there had it on lockdown. He was, he was really great. <laughs> the supervisor. 
Um, but no, I mean, it was just the scale is absolutely out of this world. I mean, it's fun because you're working out there and it, it's like Disney World. Uh, the company was a great company. They really invested heavily in um, making sure that they got the most out of each acre of land. There's kind of different strategies you can go about. And at that scale, there are kind of two different strategies where you basically go full standardization. And the like every single row, no matter what the variety, is the same row width, is the same row height. Same trellis type, same row orientation, everything's the same. You you spray everything the same, and all of your equipment's the same, everything. And so you get huge efficiencies of scale, and you save a lot of money. But your re- like on your yields aren't as good. So, yeah, and then the company I was working for focused more on really getting the most out of what they could for uh, per acre. So that was really fun because we got to play with all the latest and greatest toys and uh, mechanization and, you know, it was, it was really cool. So what would, uh, you know, what kind of yields would you get? So for, to put it, things in perspective and like an average yield for like a super high end, like you're talking in Napa, like thousands of dollars a ton like thirty thousand dollars a ton will be like half half an half a ton per acre or like one ton per acre maybe three tons per acre right like this is of grapes right this is like primo napa and sonoma like the napa cab goes for like if it's going to some really super fancy winery it'll be like thirty thousand dollars a ton which is just stupid you know, that's where, like, each grape gets just caressed, you know, and, and sung <laughs> why, to balance why, why is that? Oh. Why is that stuff so – why is Napa wine so great? I, I don't know anything about wine, so uh, a little bit, but why is Napa wine so much better than where you were? So uh, – whoa, 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 whoa. Well, where I, <laughs> well, it wasn't okay. that much better. Um, <laughs> why is it – why is the perception – Why are they charging $30,000 yeah, yeah. a ton oh. where I was getting thir- $300 where a ton? it's all just yeah. squash where grapes. Where did those zeros come from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of it has to do with just the individual care – and I mean, when you're managing 5,000 acres, you can't give every single vine that amount of like attention. Mm-hmm. So eventually oh, some things fall through the cracks a little bit. Um, and then the other thing is climactically, they have a really real, like one of the best climates in the world for growing grapes. Um, in particular, red, like the, what, <laughs> we can go into a whole flavor discuss, uh, <laughs> flavor development discussion on grapes too uh but the big thing is that it gets really cold at night and it gets really hot during the day and that differential creates a like a really nice cabernet now other types of grapes won't benefit as much from that but in particular that's where you get those really bright red colors like really rich flavors and you you get that from that big swing so napa is more of Red. That's kind of the dominant. Exactly. Okay. Mostly Cabernet. So Napa's known for Cabernet, and then they'll try and they they do grow other things too there. But like, you go to Napa and it's it's a zoo. Everything's super fancy. Um, there's people everywhere. It's it's like, it's just crazy. Um, but then Sonoma is 
just the valley over and it's a little bit closer to the ocean so it's a little bit cooler not quite as hot and so they'll grow lots of pinot noir lots of um well, not as much pinot but they do a lot of zinfandel a lot of um they'll do some whites and some other like they'll do a lot of merlots too and so there's just kind of a little bit different specialization and they also try and get away from all the napa types just like for product differentiation, they'll yeah. let Napa have the cab. They'll grow some cab there as well, but not as much. They'll focus on other varieties because people want cab. They go to Napa and they kind of Sonoma's really nice. They have a a nice, a little bit more laid back attitude than uh than Napa. Napa's very. Oh, they have. I was about to say yeah, they got their the, pinkies got up. Got their pinkies up when they're slipping their wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that I mean, riftraff in Sonoma County. Oh huh? yeah, <laughs> in Healdsburg. Yeah, um, and then. You know the other wine regions of California. While we're while we're just talking about them, there's yeah. Lodi does a lot of um, Zinfandel as well. Um, that's where you kind of have um, their kind of thing is they do like over a hundred year old vines where they just didn't rip them out and they they have the, those around. And they make wine from them. Are they any better? <laughs> I might be a little bit of marketing, but um, I'm, I'm sure they're really good still. And then oh. Uh, you have the St. Lucia Highlands and kind of like the central Californian coast and they do a lot of Pinot Noirs and they, it's a cooler climate. So it'll be in theory more appropriate for like a Pinot Noir. If you try and grow a Pinot Noir or like a Chardonnay or a cooler climate grape in like Napa or Sonoma, it'll get too, it, it'll get too, I don't want to say rich and, but it'll get too flavorful won't have the flavor profile that most of the fancy wine people want out of a Pinot Noir. It'll be like too much jam or like they'll, it just won't have the same it flavor have the profile same that they okay. want. Yeah. It's a whole world. You, probably if I drank, I'd say to the, to a, to a, uh, what's the word? The, someone whose tongue is um, me, a palate. Yeah. Uh, the right palate. Uh, they can fit. Yeah. Yeah. A really untrained palate. palate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Those but, are... and I mean, and then the area kind of where I was growing grapes was, uh, kind of the, not the bread basket, but the, like say the nut basket, <laughs> oh, all, yeah. all almonds, a lot of almond money. But then there was also, um, a ton of us grape growers in the Valley too. And so we were growing more of the stuff that you find in your supermarket and for like under $10 a bottle, really good stuff. Hey, it does it, it all does the same thing yeah, in the end. exactly and it really really good stuff and i mean we were facing a lot of the same issues that the growers in napa and sonoma were facing just at a bigger scale you know like oh how do we you know manage labor how do we uh, manage water they were having some water issues not as much as us but uh there's more water issues in the valley per se but yeah there's, we can go off in any different direction. We got flavor profiles, yield management. Uh, we, that was the original thing. You didn't find out how much uh, yield. I yeah, was yeah, let, yeah. I guess leaving you, never you did, all yeah. hanging. <laughs> um, so we in the valley, we were getting at least twelve tons the acre. Okay. And then we were on our good yield blocks. We were getting eighteen to twenty-five, even thirty tons the acre. A lot of that has to do with variety. Um, but we were our we were having riesling at like. 22 tons the acre which is really good compared yeah. to three yeah like but a, you weren't getting the 
30 grand a ton. No, 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 yeah. no, we weren't. And so we would pass on our savings. We'd grow real, these grapes at really good quality, way above, they'd punch way above their weight. And we'd grow them at a really good quality for the price that we were growing them at. And then we'd pass those savings on to the winery. And then the winery would turn that into a, a great wine that sold for better than, you know, your, your average wine that was coming from that region. Okay. That's kind of the, the model. Huh. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a yeah. way of doing business. Mm-hmm. And it's really different kind of coming from a permanent crop background where you're managing a trellis, you know, you're putting inputs in and the kind of the way, one of the biggest ways that they increase yield is just stuffing as many plants as you can per acre because a plant can only really produce a certain amount of grapes and ripen them to completion. And so easy way just stuff more grapes per acre more vines and so they'll make we get more tons so there are like our planting densities were like oh at least a thousand vines per acre to 1200 vines per acre you kind of hit that threshold where each plant doesn't produce as much but since they're so concentrated they end up out producing what a a Typical plant in just that area would produce. Yeah. I guess that's the way I made it. It's really confusing the way I said it. But. No, no, no. You're, okay. you're exactly right. And um, the thing is, is that if you have a grape producing a lot, like one vine producing a lot of grapes, they're not going to be very good quality. And so it's okay that they produce a little bit less. Okay. You really want them to produce a little bit less. So then you have a, you, it's so crop load management is a big thing with grapevines where you want to make sure that the amount of vegetation is proportional to the amount of fruit that you have. If you have way more vegetation than fruit, uh, you're not going to, it'll taste more vegetal. You'll get like a lot of flavors that are not appropriate for growing for wines. Okay. Um, so like Merlot is a great example where if you, if they're shaded by a lot of that vegetation and you have a ton of it, it'll produce a, flavor called methoxypyrazine that's the chemical name and it's bell pepper and humans are really sensitive to that flavor if there's just a little bit of that chemical in like boom you can taste a ton of this bell pepper flavor out of a grape yeah out of a grape wow. yeah you just picking out the vine or that's after it goes oh no picking it off the it'll you can taste pick like the a grape. pepper yep it tastes like green bell pepper and you're like whoa <sighs> that's a lot of green bell pepper yeah huh. mm-hmm. wow that's wild. And so a lot of what you do in the vineyard is you are trying to make sure that you're encouraging the compounds that produce good flavors. So a lot of the ways that you do that, are you increase, you can reduce crop load to concentrate some of the, the nutrients that make, if you're like above, if you have way too much crop, then you can kind of cut out some of the crop and then it'll concentrate the nutrients into the grapes that are left. And then... The other way you can do is you can leaf. So there are cultural practices where you'll shoot thin, which reduces just the amount of stalks that are kind of in the trellis in your training area. And then that'll reduce the vegetative amount compared to the to the berries. And then when you le- go through and leaf, you're increasing sunlight penetration, which then helps the berries ripen and they get better flavors. Um, uh, they have this all mapped out really, or they're working on mapping it all out where these flavors correlate to these compounds and, you know, we can measure it and we can tell you how, how much, you know, 
cherry flavor is going to be in your wine. It's very, it's very scientific. Yeah. It's the dirty secret and underworld of winemaking and grape growing is that it, a lot of it, Ooh, it's the artistry and, you know, pick plucking a single grape, you know, and, and putting it in the basket and then taking it to carrying it to the winery. <laughs> and it, it, it's not like that. <laughs> Very romanticized. Yes. Yeah. It's, and, and people don't like it when you break the romanticism. Uh, oh. But it, you know, you want wine at $8 a bottle. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's the, yeah, that's the way it's gotta be. Um, so that's, that's, so that's like in you'll do those practices. Will you go out and actually do like tasting like oh, grapes every week? Yep. When the winemakers will come out, um, and they'll taste the grapes every single week and see how the flavors are progressing, and they'll be like, "This one's ready. Pull it in. We'll go through and pick it." Okay. So it's on the the winemaker. I guess Pat kind of said the same thing. It's all the winemakers are the ones who are calling the shots in terms of harvesting. Yeah. unfortunately every grape grower will say that the biggest pest in the vineyard is a winemaker (laughs) that's a good that's a classic (laughs) grape grower joke so and then when it comes to doing all that work harvesting plucking that's all hand labor there's or is there any mechanic for pat it is (laughs) yeah for you guys um for us out in california when i first got there there were 40 acres left that were still hand-picked and it would take a crew of a hundred people like two week a week and a half to two weeks to pick it. And when we we also had a large fleet of mechanical harvesters. And so we'd go through and just it would be like the cavalry coming in. You have so each harvester oh my gosh, we have so much to talk about on harvesters. Sorry, I get so excited. <laughs> um so a couple we'll start with how they work. Um, mechanical mechanical grape harvesters. There's two main ways. Uh, the first way is they have a bar that comes in and pinches the vine or the, the T post that the vine is trained onto. And then as it pinches it, these are kind of going over, they go over the, they kind of straddle the grape, grape row, right? The vineyard row. And then Mm -hmm. the skis come down, pinch the vine, and then they just shake it. Okay. And then all the grapes just fly off. And they go off to the side, they get caught, go down into conveyor belts, go to the back, and then go up more conveyor belts, go up and over to the side. And then that goes into a grape gondola, and there are two grape gondolas for each harvester. And so when that gondola gets filled up, they stop, that guy take, takes off, the new gondola comes in, and they keep going. It takes about like 30 seconds. So yeah, it's a... It's yeah, quick. If if the second gondola driver's there, <laughs> it, so it depends on how far you are away and how right. If it's a unload. if it's a good team, it'll be seamless. But if one guy gets lost or has to go to the bathroom, <laughs> new guy, or yeah, he he goes down the wrong row. Oh, and like you can't if you meet these rows are like half a mile long, and if you meet in the middle, oh, you have geez. to back out. And if it's a grape harvester that meets in the middle, you have to cut the vineyard cut all the trellis and wire and then like drive them to the side and go around. That's gotta be a, yeah, that it, makes an irritating day. Yeah. Uh, you don't want, you don't want to do that. So we had to be really good with keeping, making sure everybody was, you know, going at their thing. It was a whole orchestration. All right. The second way that Wait, go ahead. Do those, do you worry about damage to the vine or to the grapes? Is that things just shaking it? Like there's no tomorrow. No, 
No. Um, so we were in a really loose soil. It was like there are two kinds of lips, <laughs> two kinds of soil in the area I was growing grapes in. Uh, there's sand and sandy sand. <laughs> and it was just 90, it was like 85 was the less sandy stuff. And then 95% sand. Jeez. So it's about as close as you can get to hydroponics without actually it's hydroponics yeah. outside. Yeah. Um, during the hot weather streaks, we were watering every day. You know, once 110, you got to water every day. If you mess like two days without water, vines are going to start dying. <laughs> so you really had to be on top of your game. Um, Probably a lot of that water evaporates before it even gets to the plant. Uh, no, it's, it's drip. So it goes, Oh, it's, it's underneath. Well, no, it's on top, okay. but I mean, it, it goes, it goes, it does, it's sand. So it goes straight down. So it's all drip irrigation. Yep. Everything was drip. That's irrigation. gotta be a, you can control your water. So you can control that. You, that controls a flavor profile as well. Doesn't it? Exactly. Not that I'm trying to get, I'm just, you, yeah. you are correct. Okay. We can talk about that more later. Yeah. To the flavor segment. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Should have bought a bottle of wine uh, or two. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. we're drinking Miller and blue and light. Black blue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but right, the other way that vineyards get mechanically harvested is they have called bow rods, where they have these kind of bowed rods that are in the machine, and they just go like that, and they they beat the grapes off the vines. And so we would be, uh, my crew would be running, oh, anywhere from eight to fourteen harvesters a night. And so each harvesting team is you have a guy that's driving the harvester, you'll have a Oh, you'll have at least one walker, and then you'll potentially have two people on the back managing fans because all of the the way they pull all the leaves out and debris that's not grapes called mog material other than grapes. Uh, it's grape lingo mog. <laughs> you pull all the mog out by using big fans, so they'd have these giant fans like this, and they'd just be humming. And then on the older style harvesters, it'd be one guy's job to sit with the fan right here in his face. And just humming at like, just actually, so loud. Actually holding it? No, no, no. He wouldn't hold it. It'd be right there in his face. He'd okay. be sitting in a seat oh. and he'd just be pulling stuff out to make sure it didn't get like stuff like big tree trunk, uh, vine trunks and like arm branches. He'd pull them out before they got sucked up into the fan or like string. And he'd sit there for 10, 12 hours. It was the worst job. And this is all done at night. Yes. Correct. Why yep. is that? So... The vineyards we were all harvesting were harvested at night because if you pick them during the day and they got they get picked and then they'd go to the winery and it's 110, it would like be halfway to wine by the time it got to the winery. And so and the other reason is that it reduces dust, which is already a huge issue uh, where we were growing. And so by there's just a little bit more humidity than the arid desert. And then, so yeah, reduce dust and make better wine. So, okay. Yeah. And it's a little bit cooler. <laughs> and it's a little bit cooler for, for everyone. Yeah. It it was hot. Yeah. I mean, harvest would be three months of the year, and we were working like 80 hours a week, 80 to 90. And the harvest is summer months? Oh, no. Harvest is um, August all the way through like early October. Like and all end of July, and it's sometimes. still hot. Oh yeah, even in I mean, October. Yeah, October it's it's getting nicer, but it'll still be like you have to adjust your scale. Like nice is 
anything below 95. Like, ooh, man, it was only 90. It's it's a little chilly today, you know? Like, after <laughs> you've been sweater. living in 110 and 100 degrees, like, every single day. Yeah. it And sun. Yep. Well, you, yeah. you told me when you first came back, I asked you, what is it like going outside? And your analogy was like an oven. Yep. Every time that you open, open up the truck door or leave a store to go outside, just imagine your oven turned to 400 degrees and you open it up and it goes, <laughs> that, that's, that's what you get when you open up the, your truck door because it's all sand. And so the heat just hits down and bounces right back up. Oh, that's hot. Yeah. At least you don't sweat, right? Yeah, you, you sweat, you just don't feel it. Yeah. <laughs> you get off and you just feel like dusty and salty. Uh, yeah. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, we complain about winter here, but it's kind of, there's really no, it's hot there, it's cold here. Yeah. You pick know, your poison. Pick your poison. Yeah. At, at least it's crisp and, you know, it hurts because it's cold, but it doesn't hurt because it's pollutants and like <laughs> dust <laughs> yeah. there's so much dust the, the air oh gosh i remember you just come home and you just like sh- try and shake yourself off before you get into the house because you're just dust just goes it's like pig pen where all the dust just flies off of you and you know you beat kind of the dust off of you because it's this fine sandy dust it's like that kid on the charlie yeah charlie brown where he's just mm-hmm. a, a cloud of i mean dust. we were having my last year we were having sandstorms which were it was like 30 mile an hour winds picking up the sand and throwing it in your face and oh it was it was wild well you were out there kind of were you out there during during that bad drought it was, it was always a drought out there I it's guess. always a drought it's always so a drought. when i showed up it was 2014 and the it was still the drought and so i was like yeah and everyone's like it's not normally like this in the winter normally it rains and i was like this is California, man. It, it never rains here. And they're like, oh, it does. And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> I hadn't seen rain. When I got there in June, I didn't see rain until October. And I felt like a single raindrop. I was like, oh, it rained. You know? And, and then um, that winter in, nope, it still was like for another year, year or two, we had a decent drought. But then in 2017, the drought broke. And we had the most rain ever in like the history of California. And like we went from all of the reservoirs were like 10, 5% full. And we're like, this is just normal. We're never going to have the reservoirs full again to instantly full in one, in one winter. And it was, it was wild. Every, all the levees broke. We had vines completely underwater. Um, <laughs> We're like, how are we gonna? How are we gonna prune them? Like, I don't. We gotta get the water out. Yeah. <laughs> we go. can't go through with boats. <laughs> yeah. Do you, will that will that damage that that water or the vine? Just whatever. Surprisingly, no. If the vines dormant, won't kill it. It can be underwater for like a good two months. Be perfectly fine. Wow. And the problem is, if the water goes down, the vines sprout. They do bud break and then the water comes back up. <laughs> Won't kill them, but they get really bad mildew. So powdery mildew was our main pest that we were kind of fighting uh, out in California. It wasn't humid enough to have downy mildew, which is the other mildew that you can get. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was going to say when you said mildew, that was like the last pest that would come to mind just because I think of humid, wet right. air. But- so 
Yeah, that it's mostly yeah, mostly mildews. Huh. Yep. I mean, there were some insects, but if you were scouting and staying on top of your pro- protective sprays and kind of managing the population, it was mostly lepidopteran pests, so grape leaf roller and grape leaf folder. The folder rolled the leaves and the roller went into the grapes. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they just switched the name. It was one of the classic examples where they just switched yeah. the name and the folder would roll up the leaves into little tacos. <laughs> That's at least how everyone described it to me. Huh. Look for the little tacos. <laughs> so that means you got spray. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that point, you're, you can't really hit them when they're inside the leaves. So you have to kind of wait until uh, before they, the caterpillars, when they lay their eggs and then the eggs just hatch. So a lot of it's just scouting, staying on top of your IPM program. So you got to scout, manage the flights, and hit them when they're young. Kind of like all agricultural permanent crop management, whether it's weeds or insects. When they're at their youngest stage, they're the easiest to kill. So, or suppress, if you want to be more PG. Yeah. Kills good. (laughs) So, you ended up doing that. You're out there managing um trying to think did you you must have done other things while you're in california too didn't you oh yeah no uh so i actually lived about a mile from a polo club and that's where i ended up playing polo for my whole time out there it was really great a lot of instant group of friends and really great community so i ended up playing polo um i skied a lot because, uh, you know, Tahoe was like a three-hour drive, and so you'd end up just going up to the mountains every weekend, skiing as much as you can. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up kind of, I've always been into cars. I got um, Mazda Miata, because when I was in California, I'm like, ah, got to get a convertible. Live the California lifestyle, and then uh, it, it's just too hot. <laughs> you have to keep the top up. Otherwise you just roast in the, in the sun. Uh, so I had about like three good days a year. I could, I could use my convertible, put the, the top down. Probably in the winter time. Yeah. Like in the spring and the fall, it, it it's the same as out here. You know, Oh, you only get five days in Ithaca to drive your convertible. Eh. <laughs> At least they're nice and there's no dust. <laughs> You know, ins- you must have had a hell of a tan when you're out there. Oh yeah, you gotta apply sunscreen all the time and wear big sun hats. I have a big cowboy hat, and you know you gotta. Otherwise, yeah, you get burned really bad or just really, really tan, and that's not good. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It's doing a lot more damage, right. Than you think it is. It might look nice, but <laughs> it's doing a lot worse things. Um. Oh, but right back to cars. Uh, so I eventually got ended up getting a Volkswagen Beetle, a 1970 uh, Baja Bug, because I was like, ah, oh, those look cool. I wanted a classic car. I was thinking about getting a Mustang. And, ah, I don't, I don't want to get a Mustang. <laughs> I, I can't, a a, I can't afford a Mustang. <laughs> so I went with a uh, Volkswagen Bug and slow. I picked it up for fourteen hundred bucks and really just started fixing it and as things broke and then kind of getting it ready and I was like I really want to do a like some type of off-road adventure kind of deal. And so what I ended up doing my last summer was I did the it's called the Gambler 500 uh and it was just where you go around on a navigational rally, you they you kind of show up to a, a GPS point 
and they hand you a sheet with a bunch of GPS points on it, and you're like, go find stuff. Have fun. And the goal is to pick up as much trash as you can, and don't don't be a dick. <laughs> Those are rule. Fun is be- better than rules, and then the third rule is uh, safety. Third. <laughs> <laughs> how many people? How many people like not competed but participated? Ah, uh, so there were about twenty cars, uh, for in that group during it was a smaller event uh the original one started in oregon and started off with just like nine cars and a bunch of people and their friends and then uh it it really went to it grew and you can see online now there's tons tons of events in every state there's one really big chapter in central new york it's actually based out of Cortland. um really yeah never heard of it yep and so it's the still gambler 500 but it it just is operated out of Cortland. And they run what in the summertime? Or yeah, something? they'll run in the summertime. They run in the winter. Um, you gonna participate? Ah, eventually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a little bit of other things on my plate, but um, I, that that's the goal. I'm not gonna do a winter one because I don't want to get my Volkswagen all salty. Then it'll just crumple. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the cool thing. That Volkswagen was probably in pretty mint condition. Like not mint, but compared to a New York 1970s car that you can drive in California and that's kind of right. And it, it was solid, you know, it had a little bit of rust, but really it was in pretty good shape. Uh, not as much. uh, And it had like all the Baja conversion done. So, uh, we can get some pictures, some pictures here, but it was, uh, I ended up, uh, one of my coworkers and like one of my best friends out there. I was like, Eddie, you want to, you want to come on the gambler? And he goes, what's that? And I was like, we go car camping and like drive around off road. And he's like, Sure, I've never been camping before. Let's go. And I was just like, had the best time, and I was super glad he came because he was my co-driver and navigator, and he had to do all the hard work of like navigating me around the mountains and like working the CB radio, uh, making sure that like weird sounds weren't coming from the cars. I was focused on driving within the speed limit <laughs> along backcountry mountain roads. So this was in um, Tahoe, uh, Tahoe National Forest that we ended up doing this trip. And that was actually towards the end of the trip, but it's one of the one of the really good photos. You can if you click on it, it should have more. I was say, can I like make if I click on? Okay, yep. cool. I can just go in. Yeah. Like a. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that is that was at the on the last day. So we started Saturday morning and then went till Sunday, and we drove all day, both days, uh, off roads on on like backcountry logging roads and everything. So that's the Volkswagen we actually Pat Redmond came out that last March and he helped me fix it because we had pulled the engine and kind of I was in the process of redoing all the wiring and we got it to where we could like start it and drive it around and uh, do that. And then like between that was my COVID project was that I was like, I'm going to every morning before work, I'm going to go in and like work an hour in the garage and try and get this thing done because I wanted to go on a gambler. And so because California and the West Coast have so much public land, you can go out and do off crazy off-road adventures, no problem. So, yeah, there's the Volkswagen. Uh, it's all outfitted. It's got the fiberglass front and the rears cut off. And it, it, is, it is an absolute riot to drive. It's really loud and rowdy. It, it's fun. Is that in PA or do you have it here in New York? Currently, it's in PA. So I was using – when I moved from – California to New York 
I could only really bring one car with me. And I wanted to keep the truck out with the horses in California. And so I was like, I'll just bring the Volkswagen. I'll daily drive the Volkswagen. I'll drive a 50-year-old car every single day. And, oh, my gosh, it was absolutely crazy. Uh, Wasn't it loud? Isn't it, like, really loud? It's really loud because it doesn't have a muffler on it. It's just straight piped. (laughs) It doesn't have any heating or air conditioning. Like, and so as it got colder, I was regretting my decision more and more. Because I'd be doing, you know, long road trips, and I'd just be freezing. Because I'd be, you know, going down the highway. It'll go 70, you know, no problem down the highway with off-road tires. But it, boy, was it cold at night (laughs) in October. (laughs) You know, just, I had to wear earmuffs because, like, the industrial ones. So that way I could just, like, hear things. Because it was so loud. You didn't have a headache afterwards. Yeah. So what was it like driving around California with it? Was it the same sort of... Uh, driving it around California was... Driving it here in this on this trip, we can go to a couple more pictures. There was... Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what it looked like when we got into camp. Is that the, you? Yeah, that's me. Boy. Um, beard. Yeah, I know. So I have the mustache because it's uh, I'm, I'm working in apples and vineyards now. And I'm actually doing more of the spraying... And so when you're wearing a big respirator, oh, okay, you gotta gotta have a, can't have a full beard, okay, unfortunately. So bone mustache, I like it. Looks good. Um, but yeah, so kind of you could always see and knew who the gamblers were because you just see like gas tanks and spare tires ratchet strapped to the top of the car. It's very meant to be like the worst car that you bring, the more you're celebrated. And so people that showed up in like a bone stock Geo Metro were like the true heroes. <laughs> like those guys are the coolest out of all of us, which is fun. And there was a person like the more impractical it is, the like in higher regard you are held. And so there were people in a Mercedes, I think 300D station wagon. So a diesel station wagon that was like this much ground clearance. And they were just sending bombing it. it bombing down roads keeping up trying to keep up with everybody and it was it was crazy so you guys in like a in like a pack then or staying together or just a, a, so eventually you get spread out you'd start off kind of as a pack and then uh you kind of separate out and you just like there was this guy that we actually saw when we were driving up to the mountains we saw them kind of like oh that's a gambler look behind it and we look behind and you see the ratchet straps and the spare tires like ratchet strapped on the top that's a gambler and as they come up they're like yeah honking the horn and like yeah and then when we go up we actually like kind of they went up and because we were in a 50 year old car they were in a subaru svx which is like a kind of the 90s sports car uh, of subaru so all-wheel drive it was like but it was lifted so okay it's cool but he we ended up going up there having friends with them and we ended up just like working with them because they had a really great GPS. And so we just navigate with them and you kind of make friends and go have fun. Pick up trash. <laughs> yeah, how much it, trash actually gets picked up? Uh, I mean, so we had like the back had two decent sized trash bags. And, you know, it's like just leave it better than you found it. Yeah. Which was fun, you know, and it's kind of everywhere you go now, you're like, oh, there's some trash. I should... I should pick that up. <laughs> that that bothers me. So it you know it's it's fun. Um, it's all in good spirit. It's kind of it's it's more for probably the experience. But at the same time, at least you're doing something good. Exactly. You know, you're helping out 
uh, public spaces and going for the experience and, and having a great time. <laughs> so yeah, it was that was actually one of the more impractical vehicles. Uh, I, here, let's see if there's what other pictures are there. Oh, this is the fun little river crossing that I did. Let's see if it'll play. Nah, river stream. Did you make your buddy walk all through that water just to get a good video? No, this is the uh, SVX guy. Okay. <laughs> the back end of that thing. I right? know it's got a it's got a serious. That's <laughs> just like a piece of tube around the back. That's that's your rear end. Oh it. It's very impractical, but it is so much fun. It's like a botched plastic surgery job. <laughs> it's met, it's weight savings. Extra cooling for your air-cooled engine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I ended up, we were, oh, the very first hill we tried to go up. Um, that was before the trip. But the very first hill we tried to go up, like, we are like, oh, there was a, a, a lifted Plymouth Duster on a Blazer chassis. And so it, like, crawls up this mountain. And I'm like, oh, we should follow them. So we, like, go and get halfway up. And then, and I was like, oh, no. And, like, the number one thing as you're reading through, before that's what I was preparing, like, off-road driving in your Volkswagen. Don't roll down a hill backwards. Because if, like, you know, you turn sideways, you tumble and just roll. And I was like, oh, no. Like, try to start up, try to go. Didn't have enough power. Even in first, like I just couldn't, the hill was so steep, couldn't go up any further. So I had to start like easing my way back down the hill. I get like halfway down the hill, my brakes start to fail. And I'm just like, oh no. (laughs) And I ended up like using the handbrake and the brakes to slowly back down the hill. We're like, we're not following that guy ever again. (laughs) Oh God. And that was when I learned you have to hit every single hill full throttle with as much speed as possible, just hammer down. <laughs> if she gets if she gets some scrapes or bumps and bruises. That's just yeah, all in the it, fun. It's just it. You gotta go for it. <laughs> if you let up, you'll get stuck and have to go down backwards. So if you just go full send, it no problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, there's a bunch of pictures. We here. Let's zoom out. Let me know. If yeah, you see keep it. keep going down a little more. This is just kind of the big photo dump that I pulled out here. You can click. This is the kind of driving that we were doing for, you know, a good all day from like eight o'clock in the morning till seven at night. Whew. Sorry, it's kind of loud. <laughs> is that well, it? No, I mean it's it's gonna keep going for a while. It's only. It's only, it's only two seconds. Oh, no, it's not that one, then. We can edit that out. I apologize for... Oh, no, we'll leave it there. <laughs> That'll be... A, oh, Sorry if you're listening on hate, headphones. Everyone's going to hate me. Uh, it might just shatter <laughs> your eardrums. Sorry about that. This is another good one? Yeah, or? that one's better. This is going to be really anticlimactic for the people listening and not watching. Oh. Yeah. We're watching videos. We're watching having a Watching on time. YouTube. <laughs> internet's not fast enough 
Well, you can also, you can see and hear how bumpy and rattle trappy it is. Yeah, it's, those are, uh, you're right on dirt roads. Yeah, it's, it's bumpy as all get out. You're just trying to go fast. So is that one of the other gamblers in yeah, front of your, that, your tail Yeah, that's the Subaru them? guy. Jeez. These are like woodlot roads. Yeah. How did it, that your car survive yeah. the entire... It was like you're driving over boulders the size of softballs, like boulder fields, and they're everywhere, and just trying to avoid them and go. We won't watch any more videos. <laughs> <laughs> we don't watch Shatter anymore. Right. Drums. But no, it was it was a really really fun experience. I got to meet some cool people. Um, Look at that car. That's the that's the Mercedes. Nice. Old old Mercedes. Oh, but it was it was a really fun, really fun drive. <laughs> I was having a great time. <laughs> is this COVID? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Still technically COVID. But it also works as a dust mask because you have to keep the windows open because it's so... Oh, there's no... Yeah. There's no AC and it's hot. And so you wind on the window, but then all the dust comes in. So you have to like wear dust masks and, <laughs> and the entire interior of the car, it's it's completely stripped out. Uh, so it, there's no insulation at all. Uh, so it... Oh, it's just like bare. It's a tin can. <laughs> um, this is actually the top of... It was the beginning of a Jeep trail. So they have um, a like a terrain feature called the gatekeeper. And that's like supposed to keep out all the like people that don't belong. And this was like a really steep boulder like ravine that you had to climb up and it had like big boulders and there were boulders on the sides and you had to like kind of go up it. and we're like, ah, well, this is one of the checkpoints we had to go to. And I was like, well, I want to go to the checkpoint and it just, as you're going up, though, I could hear the wheels sliding around, and my back end was spinning as I'm going up the hill, and it was it was really fun. But we made it to the top. I think the next picture is like the view, um, and it was uh, it was really cool. We ended up going further down the Jeep trail, and then it started to get really gnarly, and a, a, a Toyota Tacoma that was on 40 inch tires was coming the other way, and I was like, I don't think we should go any further. <laughs> But, but yeah, it was a uh, it was a ton of fun. How I, many how many days did it last? Um, two days. Okay. Yeah, that's the Plymouth Duster that I followed. Right there. Yeah. This guy. Jeez, look at him. Yeah. Looks like something off of uh, Mad Max. Yes. Yep. Just it, like that. It has a little bit of that vibe to it. So he that guy actually had a Volkswagen and what everyone was super pumped to see, like, oh Volkswagen, cool. Like I had one. There was another uh guy that used to drive a, a van and um everyone's like, Yeah, you can do it. And halfway through the trip I was hearing this like rattling. I'm like, can't find this rattling and everyone's like, Oh, you'll find it eventually, one way or another. <laughs> you'll find what was rattling. And it ended up there's a uh there's a pivot bolt that holds your rear trailing arm on. And that bolt was like, had worked its way almost all the way loose. And the washers were jingling in the tank. And so like, if that thing had come off, like your whole rear tire and axle assembly assembly just like plows off and you, you're, you're done. The car rips in half. Yeah, Well, not rips in half, but like you lose one half of your engine, like the axle, the wheel, the 
arm that holds it on your shock. When you said that, the first thing I thought about was you, you've seen the Herbie, like the old, yeah, where like the car rips in half. In the back. <laughs> like that, as soon as you said that, that's the first thing I thought of. Was like the back end is like driving itself. Like oh, it's ripping half. <laughs> Well, uh, glad. So, did you did you find it, or the tr- the race ended? And then oh no, I it? I drove it all. I drove it three hours home on the highway. <laughs> oh god! And then and then we eventually the only thing that broke there was a cooling fan that I was like, oh, we're driving at 105 uh, degrees. I should turn on the auxiliary oil cooler. Turned it on, and a ratchet strap end got sucked into the fan and and broke the fan. That was it. That was the only thing that broke. We drove three and a half hours up into the mountains on the highway and then did the whole trip all around and then drove three and a half hours back. <laughs> didn't didn't have a plan for breaking down. Just like had all my tools. And I was like, if we break, we'll, we'll figure out a way to get home. And, uh, and yeah, so then when you got home, that's when you realized that that pin was. Yeah, I was actually like, I, I want to do another one. Like, I want to go again. I should really do a good check. And then I checked and found that. And I was like, I'm not going on. <laughs> I need I need to do some serious work. Uh, wow. Oh, it was funny because um, Eddie, Eddie's wife and uh, my my fiance were like, we don't think they're going to make it back. <laughs> they're, those guys are insane. <laughs> they're not they're not coming back. They're going to break down and we're going to have to go pick them up somehow. <laughs> Proved him wrong. Because you're there. There's no cell reception. Yeah, I'm sure. There's none. So you're just like, you're off the grid. Unless some of the other gamblers find you. Right. And that's, they were that's like, what? we showed up late into camp and they were like, hey, anybody, anybody seen the Volkswagen? Did they, did they make it? <laughs> they were worried. <laughs> I actually, we won a prize of most likely to break down. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't. But we didn't. No, no, no. Actually, no, it wasn't that. It was most likely to need a tow strap. And then that was what it was. Okay. Need a toe strap pull to like get stuck. But yeah. I didn't. Yeah, because if you broke down and unless they backtracked and found you, like you probably aren't gonna see people for no. some time. That's why you it's really good to stay with like at least a buddy system. Yeah. So they can <laughs> or you have CBs at least. Yeah, so we had, we had a C B to... radio, so it wasn't bad. Yeah. The uh, the C the S V X got hung up on a big boulder and we had to like jack up the car because he was backing up down a trail. And ended up backing up onto this giant boulder. So we had to jack up the car and then like kind of pry the boulder back. It was like probably like this big, like a, like a three, three, three foot, foot boulder that was like kind of on its side and he went up onto it. Oh. <laughs> what other pictures he got? That's the interior view. Yeah, that's, that's what the interior looks like. That's the dust. ABG stands for always be gambling. <laughs> But yeah, it was a uh, it was a really great trip, really really fun. It can go a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> I don't know why they have it all the way up to there. <laughs> that is very optimistic. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, that was that is was at that the trip. end. Is that, that when it's all done? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it looks like. I mean, besides that mud on it, yeah, it looks to be in pretty good condition still. It it was, and you know. I got that car back and I daily drove it. I was doing three and a half hour trips, like car drive trips, like every weekend and no problems until I heard some rattling and connecting rod bearing went and now I need to rebuild the engine. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's only 50 years old, you know. Yeah, it's 50 years old. 
1970. So it's it's probably everything else in the car has been replaced at this point. All new wiring, all new electronics, new tires. Uh, Is that accurate? Seventy three thousand. Yep. Yep. That's not a lot. No, or it's one hundred and seventy three thousand. That would make more sense. Or it's two hundred seventy three. Yeah. <laughs> It's an approximation. Oh, okay. Okay. So there isn't enough. Yeah. There's no yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I like keeping the original that all works and is, is all good. I had to end up fixing a bunch of stuff inside of there, but it all, yeah, it all works. It's kind of a priceless, like, you know, maybe it's not worth a lot monetary, but it's just kind of ah, cool to it's, have. It's fun. It, yeah. it gets so much attention. You pull in anywhere and you get a ton of attention. It's fun. A lot of eyeballs yeah. on it. I was driving on the highway on Memorial Day weekend and it was like, I'd never gotten that many, like so much attention in my life. It was a lot. Uh, but yeah, uh, after, after I did that, I ended up moving back here this past September. And now, now I'm working in orchards and I'm, manage a small amount of vineyards too yeah what's what's the difference coming from california to new york now well it's a lot colder eric (laughs) (laughs) oh i didn't know that that's news to me um no it it's great there's you have to work with the weather a lot more but you also don't have to manage nearly as much irrigation so like we had a whole department on the west coast that was the whole department of our like division of our ranch management that was solely for irrigation that's all they did 24 7 and now it's like we don't we don't have a whole division i mean we're like we'll turn on valves and stuff uh to manage it but it, it's really only when you need it if you don't get enough rain which yeah it it's that that almost never happens right. except for last year probably yeah last year they used the irrigation a little bit but even when they're when Vines and trees are mature. A lot of times they don't need it or very little. So these, so is this, uh, it's, it's just really important when you're growing the trees to get them up to when they don't have a strong root base, they, if it's dry, they really need the irrigation. I want to make sure that's really clear. Uh, and then if you're managing a high crop load and it's a long extended drought, you, you need to have irrigation. So now you're just. You said it's an orchard, so it's just an apple orchard? Yes. Or it's... Actually, it's uh, we have apples, and we also have stone fruit and vineyards. What would be stone fruit? So that's cherries, plums, apricots, and peaches. Basically, they have yep. a hard... Yeah, with that hard yeah, center stone, uh, stone pit. So mm-hmm. what did you do any... I mean, is it you're kind of learning on the fly then, or did you yeah. do... Did you learn much about, I mean, because you basically sounds like you went after wines of viticulture, just kind of a different, same, but different somewhat. Not right. really. I don't know. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's still permanent crops. So it's not like going from trees to corn, you know, it's still pretty similar. Um, but there's a whole new set of diseases. There's a whole new set of sprays. Uh, you know, you're just managing a whole new, uh, it's still, you know, all the equipment is mostly the same, which is helpful. Um, but and the technology is all the same. Actually, most modern apple tree orchards are being planted at the same density as vines. So like thousand to uh, thirteen, fourteen hundred trees per per acre. And they're basically like set up in yep, rows. They're on a trellis. They're it's just like grapes. 
and a lot of these trees out made people don't realize they they aren't just like you put the seed in watch it grow to some giant air they're grass oh right yeah no so, yeah I, if you could explain a little mm-hmm. bit about that sure so trees and vines actually are the same this way is that they uh you you grow a rootstock and then you cut the rootstock off and you have your normal like a, take a cutting from a tree that you want and then you graft it on where you make a special cut and they kind of stick them together and then you wrap some special tape around it and then they the tissues kind of connect and it's like boom you can you can they grows yeah yeah and you get the benefits of the like a soup if like a Honeycrisp doesn't have a super awesome root system. You can attach it to a, a root stock that has a really great root system and is really vigorous. And it'll impart that vigor onto your Honeycrisp, which is kind of like a classically poor grower. Okay. And so you can try and manage vigor. You can manage um, like all different kinds of stuff with your root stocks. Uh, the big thing with vineyards is that uh, phylloxera is a pest that's native to North America and it'll, if you just try and stick a grapevine into the ground, it'll die. It's a insect that kind of just basically eats the roots. Put it simply. So if you, so you're better off graphing then. You have to. And you have to with grapes. Yep. Unless it's a native variety that's kind of adapted with phylloxera, you have to put it on root stocks. They figured this out. Uh, in the, I think, 17 or 1800s, the smart Europeans, as they were, were like, ooh, we should start collecting plant material from around the world and bring it back. And they brought phylloxera. And all of their vines were on their own roots. And it went through and wiped out every single vine in Europe. Killed it, killed it all. That's that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not what you want. <laughs> oh, man. So I don't know who that guy is that brought that back with him. but Yeah. He was in a world of trouble. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, And so that giant outbreak, they kind of looked back to North America and said, like, what are we going to do? And I don't know if that was the person that invented grafting, but they figured out that you could take a native vine, cut it, and then kind of stick it, glue it on, to, for lack of a better word, to your European vine, and it'll be able to survive the disease, the the pest, phylloxera. And so that kind of revitalized the wine industry in Europe. So so we destroyed the wine industry, but then we also helped it with, you know... We advanced we, it. <laughs> advanced. So they still have it over there. They still have oh, the yeah, graph. You, once you get... Phylloxera, game over. You can't ever go back. There's areas in Chile, if it's a really sandy soil, it it won't. Phylloxera can't really survive very well. So there's that's like one of the few places in the world, and they have really good biosecurity where they try to not keep, you know, plant material from coming in. But that's like once it's there, it's there. So if California's sandy and Chile's sandy, is that or is it more than just a soil? It, it's it's a combination. It's a combination. In theory, you could and you'll you can grow one for a couple of years, but it it's always gonna, almost always gonna die. Wow. So it, is flux? Is it mostly basically around the entire world then? Yeah, my Yeah. So what's this rootstock that? Oh, there's so that's there, or there's the, multiple rootstocks. There's a in lot North of America. different kinds of rootstocks. Yeah. Okay. So that's one of the big things that goes on like plant different companies or universities will work on plant breeding programs to make these rootstocks. 
and like find out which ones are best suited to which soil. You have one that's really good in alkaline soils or ones that's good in acidic soils. And you can kind of pick your, to specifically your site that you're growing on. Okay. Yeah. Huh. I, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So then even in New York and all that, that's all the same. Yep. Wow. Yep. Now, if like Concord, which is native, doesn't need it. Okay. But anything that is your typical, um, you know, stereotypical wine grape from Vitis vinifera is the European uh, wine genus, I think, or species. Uh, no, I think Vitis is the genus. Species is the, yeah, vinifera. No, I didn't pay attention. <laughs> that part was cool. Yeah, the whole Latin name. Oh, uh, yeah. But I was I wanted to ask you, your wine guy. What is <laughs> Oh, no, I'm a wine guy. <laughs> I guess what, so. Or viticulture, whatever you want to name yourself. What is the I remember Frank Rossi talking about in Europe. It's is it the the rot wine that has it's like crazy valuable and they figured out it's covered in like a mold. But it tastes like it's stupid. Like you, you not stupid. You hear like what it's like, basically mold covered grapes that they make right. wine out of, and it's like delicious and extremely valuable. So is, that's is, called, is that right? Yeah, no, you, okay. you're absolutely right. It's called botrytized wine. So there's a specific um, disease, disease, fungal disease called botrytis, and it dehydrates the grapes and forms like this mold on it. And you can take those grapes and the act of making wine is really just turning sugar into alcohol. And so the more sugar per water weight that you have of alcohol, of, of sugar, the more alcohol you can make. So like a botrytized wine will normally be kind of like a dessert wine because there's just not a lot of water. So it'll be highly concentrated. Oh, it's crazy sweet. Right. And yeah, it, basically, like an ice wine, same principle. So you can reduce your water by disease or by ice. You know, that just removes water and you're adding, excuse me, you're adding a, um, well, just subtracting water, adding more flavor. But you also get the unique flavor profile of mold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, it's really interesting. I mean, I don't know who the, I'm sure the way it worked was there was some person that was like, ah, <laughs> these these, wine, these grapes are trash and like i'm still gonna make wine out of them yeah like, forget yeah. it we, we got to do something with these with these grapes yeah who's the first guy to figure it out? <laughs> oh this is delicious right yeah <laughs> you know? oh so no yeah so there is uh there is botrytized wine there's ice wine uh that's how a lot of the dessert wines are kind of made and it's something that you can do to take something that really you're like ah, maybe we shouldn't make wine out of it. maybe we can make botrytized wine and then all of a sudden you can turn something that's not very lucrative into something that's like really lucrative. So, yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I just remember talking about that. So, you know, 10 years ago, I remember even talking about that, but I couldn't remember the full story. I just remember talking about rot. He called, he had some like nickname. It was like rot grape or something mold. I remember talking about that. I was like, why would someone eat grapes covered in mold? But that's, <laughs> I'm glad you were able to refresh my memory. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, we didn't. It was actually too dry to have that in California, to have that type of rot. You need to have like specific conditions. Uh, but we had a sour rot, which was just gross. <laughs> you, yeah, you didn't so want it. It, it was awful. sour. You didn't. You could yeah. smell it. It wasn't good. Um, 
But no, yeah. So yeah, California was a ton of fun. Uh, it's really great. My family's all on the East Coast. Uh, and so Devin's moving over. She'll go over here soon. My fiance. Yeah. And so that'll be really exciting. We're really, really excited to be, be on this coast. And we have a lot of friends in the area and you and yeah. You're putting roots down now. Yep, exactly. Land is much, much cheaper over here. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. If you wanted like 10 acres, uh, gosh, like three years ago or two years ago when I checked, it was 10 acres of just bare sand and like a, a house the size of this room. And it was $450,000, $500,000. And then right before I left, it's like, oh, taxes in New York are really high. I got, does this pen, this is still pencil out? And I looked again, and it was like a slightly larger house, still 10, a- 10 acres of land of just sand. And this one had a little hay shed, you know, a little pole shade structure. And that was $890,000. And you still have to pay for water. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> the state controls water. Right. You have to get it from a, well, the irrigation dis- districts control water. Okay. So you still have to pay for water on top of that. <laughs> That's probably. <laughs> if you want to, like, know what water. If you want to grow pasture, <laughs> it's only getting more expensive. Yeah, it's a really big issue in California where the state has decided that it's no longer sustainable to pump water at the rates out of the ground that they're currently punching wells. Because when the drought drought hit, everyone started punching wells deep, and all of a sudden, like certain areas of California started dropping because the water was getting sucked out of the ground and it's just, it's at an unsustainable rate. But at the same time, there either needs to be more reservoirs built or something because it's one of the best areas to grow crops in, in the world. Yeah. So it's, it's a really tough conundrum, but they're going to start metering, put a flow meter on each well, metering how much water you can take out of the ground. It's only going to get harder. Well, if they keep people keep leaving California the way they do, they shouldn't have to have as much water for the people, and you can have for agriculture, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like that'll ever happen. Oh yeah, no, it's it's wild. But then, yeah, we don't need to get yeah. the environmental side. It's it's just really. It's nice to be able to punch your own well out here and not have to worry about paying. Sure, and it. you yeah. don't have to go two hundred and fifty feet down or like thousand feet down. Yeah, you water. can sometimes you have to go we went one sixty one with one well, which that's the deepest well we have. Yeah. But uh yeah, yeah, I've heard guys and we're talking at Cornell thousand plus feet. It's like phew. wow. Yeah. Uh, and then I mean back home in Pennsylvania we uh we live on we have a hillside on our farm. We have an artesian well. So oh. just like punch a whole pipe into the side of the hill and just water starts pouring out. <laughs> yeah, is that the water's just basically bubbling out the top of that well all the yeah. time then. Yep. Yeah. That's good. You yeah. have a feed all the horses you could ever imagine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was nice. Uh but I tell my friends back back on the in California about that and they're like, What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like water just like comes out of the hill? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's a nuisance. It's <laughs> <laughs> annoying. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah. Run tile to get the water. Away. Right. Yeah, you have to run tile because there's so much water. <laughs> really crazy. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the story of Jay's agricultural journey. Yeah. <laughs> You've kind of done an arcing. You go. You know. You, you got out in the world, went away, and now you're kind of yeah back here. So, mm-hmm. but so uh, I guess I, I like to ask people, as you know, the 
if you weren't doing ag, what do you think you would be doing? Or what would you like to do? What would I like to do? Or yeah. what? I mean, I'd probably just be a ski bum. <laughs> <laughs> you could make it being a ski. If you were, I guess if you were an instructor and stuff. Yeah, but I mean. I guess real is like a career. Career, a yeah. realistic career. Yeah, where you're. Yeah. yeah. If I wasn't just a really rich person that yeah was if you like weren't a trust a fund kid yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had to actually make a living right if i still had to make a living i'd probably be an some type of engineer or fixing problems a lot of the work that i did at my old job and i still do now just on a smaller scale is you see something that takes longer than it should and you need to fix that and it, you fix it and then that process just process improvement um, that was a really big part at my old company. And so we would try like all different kinds of things. And that was really rewarding. You know, you take something that somebody complains about all the time and they're like, this is really bad. You're my boss, please fix this. And then you do. And they're like, oh, this is great. <laughs> you know, the, the example was we have a hydraulic hose maker and the press and the maker were on one side of the shop and all the fittings were on the other side of the shop. And so anytime you want to make a hose, you got to walk back. You get the wrong fitting. Yeah, you got to walk back and forth. And it's like the shop was, it was a big shop. I can imagine the amount it, of grapes you're doing. Right. So just having a guy going back and he was like, I hate walking back and forth. I want to do my job better. Like, what can we do? And we just ended and up more efficient. Yeah, more efficient. He's like, well, I'm wasting a ton of time. And it's whenever a, a harvester goes down and harvest and you, every minute counts. Every second counts because you have a giant crew, that whole harvester crew is down. They're waiting. They're waiting. And so we would bring, we just moved the hydraulic press like to the other side of the shop near all the fittings. <laughs> no one had figured this out <laughs> no, before you showed no, up. No, nobody figured out. And, and, the, and everyone was like, this is so much better. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's just, it's nice making those improvements, like things that bother people, you fix it. And not only are you making them happier, making them work more efficiently, but you're also, uh, it's just, you're making, saving money. Mm -hmm. And so I'd probably be in that kind of line of work just because it's, it's fun fixing problems. Troubleshooting. Yeah. Well, it kind of comes back to, you're willing to go out in a 1970s Volkswagen <laughs> and well, if it breaks down, it breaks down. We'll figure out how to fix it. You, know, you yeah, kind of have we'll that. Yeah. 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 That yeah. mechanical, able to fix it. Yeah. I like to take a lot of pride in being a very practical person. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah, let's figure out a low dollar way, you know, like, yeah, just figure out a way to fix it, make it go on to the next thing, make that a little bit better. So that's what we're also trying to do in my current job too. But well, yeah, that's the thing you find you, you fix a, you fix something and it's like it was an overarching like it bugged everyone it was an issue once that's fixed then you find the next bottleneck exactly you fix that and then yep, you hopefully you just, get all the bottlenecks opened up and it's yep. a, more of a steady steady stream exactly yeah it's fun i mean that's probably one of the best parts about i don't know ag management and the kind of doing this kind of work is that you get to really see a lot of problems every day and then fix them and I mean, growing, I like growing, uh, getting to eat apples all the time is great and drink wine and, you know, permanent crops and fruit crops are really fun in that regard. Cause the product themselves is like sexy, you know, it's fun as a wine guy. <laughs> Romantic. <right? laughs> yes. Yes. Sure. So it's, it's a lot of fun, but I like fixing problems too. 
Yeah. I asked Carl this. If if you uh if someone made a movie about you, who would you who would you wanna be the actor who portrayed you? Oh man. <laughs> who would I want? Jason Statham. Jason Statham. Yeah. What? I'm trying. I'm drawing he's the a blank. English. He's the English, like really tough guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> you got a good English accent. Oh though? no, no, I won't. I won't submit your listeners to that. <laughs> yeah, sure. He could play me. <laughs> a wine, a wine man, wine, a, wine a, guy, a, a wine and uh, orchard fixing management. fixing problems one problem at a time. <laughs> They should make a movie about that. Uh, oh. That's great. Good questions. Yeah, it's just kind of. What uh, other questions? Oh, I've asked people if you could, um, if you were to have dinner with a celebrity or, and not even a celebrity, just someone of great importance over the human history. Who would that be? Oh. Or an idol? You know, any anyone that. Wow, that's that's a lot harder of a question. <laughs> or we could say even, you know, in the last, you know, it doesn't have to be human history, but it could be, you know, like I said, someone that you're really fond of or they could still be alive yeah. or not. FDR sounds cool. Winston Churchill. Yeah they're, yeah. they're pretty pretty wild characters. I'm sure they'd have some pretty cool stories. Yeah, Winston Churchill, he was a he was quite the guy. <laughs> They didn't take they didn't take crap from no one. No. Really, really wild. Yeah. But No. Cool. This has been fun. Yeah. This has yeah. been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I think uh I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about or um No, yeah. I think that's that's most of it. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I had a great time, Jay. I learned a lot and it was a lot of I the whole car thing around california side, blew, t- side tangent blew my mind so <laughs> yeah no it's it's been uh it's a lot it's been a lot of fun chatting it's my first time on a podcast wow i'm mm-hmm. gonna be famous <laughs> <laughs> post it out there let the world see yeah uh but no it's been sorry as well it might have been we were jumped around a lot it's hard to find i get just so excited oh, talking nah. about vineyard stuff and grapevines and harvesters and machinery crews no that's fine that's that's why the long form, you know, this goes, we're almost, we're just under an hour and a half. You can believe that. Oh, it doesn't man. even feel like wow. it. But yeah, it's like, that's it, long form, but you can get so much more out of it when you can actually sit down. If, if I was like, Jay, we got 30 minutes. You yeah. Know, you aren't going to get, I mean, I'm sure there's even more you'd like to, you know, there's even way more detail, but it's just kind of, you can actually sit down and explain stuff and get the message out. Rather than feeling like you're cramped down and yeah, that's, hit that's this, fair. hit this, hit this, and it's more free flowing. I guess. I guess my overall thing that I'd like to end on is that fertilizers and pesticides and insecticides aren't bad. They're really, they're pretty good, especially compared to what we were doing in the 50s and 40s. Those were really bad stuff. Yeah. The a lot of the materials we're spraying now are high tech. They're really safe. Um, you can go through and. You know, if you, just being responsible, you can do a lot with modern spray technology and getting all that. It, it doesn't have to be, I know they get a really, it's tough because this is the one side note is that farmers kind of get annoyed by people going onto their land 
And it's like, it's really inconvenient when you have like people trompsing around your orchard or vineyard. And so the best way to get people to stop doing that is to put up like big spray signs. And, you know, and if you're spraying something, they shouldn't be in the vineyard or orchard yeah. that day or the day after. Most of the time, it's only 24 hours. But you put up a big sign, like, haha, those people aren't going to be bothering me anymore. You know, they won't be coming into the orchard and bothering me or the vineyard. And the backside of that, the double-edged sword, is that now, because of all that, people are afraid. They're really afraid of all the sprays. And I want to say, no, they're really not that bad. There's a lot of really good spray technology. A lot of it is just... uh, we people get a people can get annoying <laughs> and you know they they trespass people trespass all the time and you know you don't want people to trespass but that's like my side side end note for agriculture is that not all fertilization and agri- and sprays are bad it's it's really if it's done correctly it's with correct methods it's really good it, it's a good thing you end up saving a lot of fossil fuels you end up saving a lot of time and and money and you can deliver a product at a much more reasonable price yeah people have to realize that the reason we're able to shop so cheaply relative to the rest of the world for food is because right of the way we do it right and that's just it's a give and take hey you want you want it you want us to do it this way pony up and pay up that's the yep. only way it's gonna happen so. i don't i don't need to get triggered on a lot of other stuff yeah agricultural topics but that's my slightly agricultural end note yeah hey <laughs> i think that's a great way to end it. <laughs> jay it's been a pleasure man it's been really fun so thank you yeah and uh thanks for listening everyone and uh i'll catch y'all in the next one